Welcome to Sermons of Grace with Pastor David Murphy of the Grace Baptist Church in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. Last week in our study of the Book of Romans, Pastor Murphy spent some extra time showing us Martin Luther's struggle with understanding salvation and our need for saving faith. Today, Pastor Murphy will explain the essentials of saving faith and how sinners obtain it. Turn with me, please, to the book of Romans. We are in the book of Romans, and we are back at verses 16 to 17. Let's read the passage of uh, Scripture, um, Romans chapter 1, and verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, To the Jew first, also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now let me suggest to you that that last part of the verse, the just shall live by faith, is not an accurate translation. What Habakkuk said And what Martin Luther understood. And it should be translated this way. The just by faith shall live. Where Martin Luther got the relief was in verse number 17. I mentioned that to you where he said. For the end of the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. For as it is written the just shall live by faith. You remember I mentioned to you. Those of you who have been here and under the series. You remember that we mentioned to you. That the great barrier that Martin Luther found in this passage. It was that phrase the righteousness of God. I mentioned to you that Martin Luther's problem was. That when he read about the cross of Christ. And the death of Christ. He couldn't understand. What God was trying to do in the cross. He thought that in killing Christ. He was showing how righteous he is. And Martin Luther read that passage and he said, that was the barrier. I couldn't, he said, you know, under the law, God showed he was righteous. But when God brought the, 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 the gospel now and he slew his son on the cross, uh, Martin Luther thought that when he thought the righteous of God, that God was revealing that, that God was now showing to man, not only in the law, but he's so righteous, he has to slay his own son. So that was his problem. What is this righteousness of God? How does a man become righteous? And that is when he came to this passage and he, and, he, and he came to verse number 17 that Paul quotes where he says, as it's written, the just by faith shall live. Because that answered the question. That's why I said it's not, it's not, the, it's not as you've got it here, the just shall live by faith. That's not what Martin Luther understood. His problem was how does a man become righteous? And he understood from this passage, the just by faith shall live. He now understood a man became just before God by faith. That is what he got. Now I I, I want to say to you and I want to talk about this whole matter of faith, saving faith. I I, I mentioned it last time and I want to elaborate a little bit on it for just a moment. Uh, Come into this this saving faith. You, you, You know I mentioned to you that in these two verses the component of faith is so prominent that Paul in verse 16 and 7 alludes to faith four different times. He used the word four different times. The importance of faith. But I pointed out to you uh, last time that we have to be very, very careful 
to understand that saving faith is not human faith. I want to put that out. Not everybody has saving faith. I try to, I want to, I want to pull that point home to you tonight. Because we tell people that everybody got faith and everybody got saving faith. Everybody does. You're not born with saving faith. You're not born with it. Saving faith is something that God creates in you by His Spirit using His Word. Only one amen. Because I know some of you are sitting there, but Pastor, I was never taught that. That song, Strange Doctrine, you're becoming a Calvinist now. No, not a Calvinist. Never will be either. But I do want us to understand this whole matter of faith because Luther got it. And he got it right. That a man is made righteous before God by faith. He understood that. But Luther had faith before. He believed in God. He became a theologian. He was a monk. He was praying. He had faith. He believed in God. But he didn't have saving faith. Something happened to create that faith in Luther. And that is what we need to understand. When we're dealing with people. In this whole matter of evangelism. The last time. If you were here. I proved that point by one verse of scripture. Go back to it. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 2. The apostle Paul says. He said finally verse 1. Brethren pray for us. That the word of the Lord may have free course. And be glorified even as it is with you. And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. For all men what? Hath not faith. That's not what we tell them. We tell them, everybody got faith. Paul said, all men do not have faith. And what Paul is referring to is saving faith. Because all men have a measure of faith, a measure of belief. But all men do not have saving faith. That's the point I'm trying to underscore. Listen. I I think it was Robert was preaching the other day. I believe it was Robert was preaching the other day. Talking about a preacher preaching for many years and then finally getting saved. Yeah. I've known of a deacon in a church. Sat under the pulpit and was a deacon. Doing all the things a deacon do. And then one day, the pastor preached a message. But by the way, he knew all along the time he wasn't saved. He knew that whatever was being saved, he just knew it wasn't, he didn't have it. But you see, when you have a title and you are given some position, there is a word that you have is called pride. So when it dawns on you, finally, presto, I see it. The problem is now what are you going to do? And many a person, because of their pride, sit in the pew and know they didn't have anything authentic, anything real. Just been going through the motions for years after years after years. Nothing real, didn't know it. But they're so proud, they would not humble themselves and be broken before God. See, And that is a warning that we have to give when it comes to the church of Jesus Christ. I am repeating, I'm saying again, men are not born with saving faith. All men do not have saving faith. 
That is not Pastor Murphy's words. Those are the words of the Apostle Paul. All men do not have faith. See? And if Paul is referring to saving faith. Uh, I, I used another passage last time if you were here. And that is found in James chapter 2. James says, you believe in God? You do well, man. Do you, I, I commend you. I pat you on the back. You have to be praised for believing. But the devils believe. And listen, the difference between the, de- the devils tremble. You don't tremble. So who got the most faith? Tell me who got the most faith. No, the devil got faith. But he don't have saving faith either. We need to wake up. Wake up. I, I mean really wake up. And that's why we need the instrument of God's word to probe into our minds. That can be cluttered. Cluttered. Because we're no longer a, a deep thinking people. See? We don't want anything too deep. We want something very, very shallow. And that is why we need to take the word of God and begin to probe and probe and probe and probe and probe. My point is that saving faith is something special. And can I put it this way? Saving faith has certain qualities that are unique to saving faith. I want to show you that for just a moment. Let's look at the components of faith from a biblical perspective. Now, if I want to find out what saving faith is, what real faith is, where do you think I would go? What's the faith chapter in the Bible? Hebrews 11. So if I want to know what real, authentic, genuine, saving Christian faith is. Faith that connects me with God. I must go to the book of Hebrews. And when I go to the book of Hebrews, I find that there are certain components to real, authentic faith. Let me mention four of them for you for just a moment. Look at Hebrews chapter 11. First of all, look at verse 6. For without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must do what? Believe. Now that's the first component of faith. Belief. If a man has saving faith, he must believe. He must intelligently accept what the Bible teaches. He must give mental assent. God says that, it is true. That is a part of saving faith. But that is not all saving faith is about. And that is where we keep, listen, we need to take time to explain to people. When we tell them put faith and trust in Christ, what that means. What that means to most people is that I, I bow my head and say a little prayer. Dear God, I believe in Jesus Christ and I trust Christ as my Savior. They rush it through like that. There's no content other than the fact that I, I agree that Christ died. But that's not all there is to saving faith. Belief is one particular element. Second element of saving faith. Look at Hebrews chapter 11 verse 13. By the way, that's the mental aspect of faith. The, the belief part of it. Must believe, you must believe that God is. He's a reward of that. You must believe that. If you don't believe that, you haven't got no saving faith. But that's not all saving faith is about. Notice the next element of it is found in verse number 13. 
11.13 These all died in faith. Not having received the promises. But having seen them afar off. And were what? Persuaded. Now that's an important work about saving faith. When you have saving faith. You become persuaded. It's not just a mental matter. It now becomes also an emotional matter. You, in other words, your whole heart, your sensibilities are involved in this matter. It's not just saying, I believe in Jesus. But you really, truly, with your heart, are persuaded that these things are so. That is the emotional element of saving faith. Persuaded. Here's the amazing thing. These men went after certain promises. They didn't get the promises fulfilling their time. But what the Bible says, they were persuaded about God's promise. Even though they didn't realize the promise. They knew that once God promised it would happen. They died before it happened. But guess what? They were persuaded it's going to happen in any case. That is the second element of saving faith. Persuasion. Then, I want you to notice in in, uh, verse 13... The other part of it. These all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them off and were persuaded of them and did what? Embrace them. See? That is the volitional part of it now. Where you exercise your will and you embrace that. See? So my intellect, I accept that that's a fact. My emotions, I'm persuaded this is true. And then by my will, I know... Embrace these things. See? So believe, persuade, and now I embrace these things. Now, do you see the difference between what we call natural faith and saving faith? The ordinary man has faith, no question about that. He has faith to believe. But he doesn't have the faith to be persuaded, not to embrace these things. That's why he's not saved. So something has to happen now to generate that kind of faith. And we'll talk about what happens to do that. Am I making sense? Am I confusing you? I don't ever want to confuse you. Honestly. My whole purpose as a pastor is to shed light on scripture. And I hope I'm doing that. See? So I want you to stay with me to understand. This is, this is an area we gotta, de- listen, this is the most important teaching in the whole Bible. Where does, how does a man get saved? This is what the whole Bible is about. And then let me mention one other aspect. Look at Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 3. Through faith we what? Understand. That is the climactic element in saving faith. We now grasp this whole thing. We now understand it for the first. We've heard it a thousand times. It's been preached. But then suddenly we now understand this whole thing. Saving faith brings an understanding of biblical truth that you never had before. So the emotional element. There is the mental element. There is the volitional element, but it's also the spiritual element. Where now that faith begins to help you to understand what God is saying. Now let me let me just show you something here. Go back to first Corinthians chapter two for just a minute. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and look at verse number 12. 
Paul says, now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit of God that we might know what? Know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak, not in the words of man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Spirit teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Now get this verse. Now the natural man does what? Receiveth. Not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are what? Fool. And notice the word. Neither can he what? Know them. See? You see where I'm coming from now? That's the natural. He has faith. But he doesn't have saving faith. But I don't know why it has taken us so long to understand that salvation is a miraculous work of God. Nothing short of God's power could ever bring you to faith in Christ. Nothing short of that. And that brings me to my next question this morning, and then I finish with this. Now, well, Pastor, that is true. How is this saving faith that I need to put my trust in Christ and the gospel, how do I get it? How is it developed? And the Bible doesn't leave you in any great mystery again. The Bible tells you exactly how it happens. Two things. Two agents are involved in creating faith in you. And without these two things, you can never have saving faith. You know what those two things are? And you know them so well, but you, you forget them. The first of all is this, the word of God. It's the word of God that produces saving faith in you. Romans chapter 10 and verse 13 and 17 says what? So then what? So then faith cometh by hearing and what? Hearing by the word of God. So how do I get faith? How does faith come? Saving faith comes to me because the word of God has the power to create and engender that kind of saving faith. And I can't have it without the word of God engendering that faith in me. Does that make sense? And every one of us who are truly saved knew that's exactly what happened when we got saved. Look, I can tell you. I'm an old man now, 61 years old. I got saved when I was 16 or 17. I don't even know. I don't know the date. I tell you the story about that, right? I went to the church. I got out of conviction, came back home, wrestled with God in my bedroom, and told God, you know, for the first time in my life, I now understand I'm really lost. I was a nice Bible club student, win every prize, say all the verses, went forward maybe three or four times. But it is when one night the guy preached, a guy came from St. Vincent and preached. And for the first time in my life, I understood I was lost. And I went home and before God, I said, God, I can't believe this. I can't believe this. Here I am going to church all this time and winning all these prizes. And I am lost. And the thing that broke my heart, brother, is that when I was going forward, the missionary put her hand and said, he got saved already. And I wanted to, I just wanted to tell her, I'm not saved. I know I'm not saved. I want to tell her that. But you see, I was one of her numbers see and I went home and got before the Lord and cried up before God and I got it from there and I wrote it down on the wall the day because you ever heard a song it was a Monday it was a Tuesday so I wanted to make sure that I knew when it was 
Because I don't remember this, so I wrote it down on the wall. So that if I ever know, I can go back to the wall. And then they painted the wall. <laughs> I went back more than once to try to find where the mark was. But not only the paint, they broke down the whole wall, rebuilt the house. So when I hear this on Monday, I don't understand. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, so I said, it was a good day, it was a good day. That's the time I said. <laughs> but what I'm saying to you is that, I've always believed in God. I cannot think of a day in my life I didn't believe in God. But I never had saving faith. And that came from the word. It engendered that faith. And then the other thing is, is the Holy Spirit. You see, the sword that the Spirit uses is the word. The Holy Spirit takes the word and he goes that word in your life to engender that faith. That's why when God, the Lord was dealing with Nicodemus, he said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. But that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And they can say, well, how can these things be? And then, of course, you got the whole story as when as Moses lifted the serpent in the wilderness. That is the spirit pointing to Christ as a sacrifice for man's sin. It's the spirit taking the word to get us to understand what the cross is all about. So the way God, you know, I meet people say, well, pastor, if I don't have saving faith, how I get saving faith? Be in a place where God can work in your life. If I am lost and I don't have saving faith, I am not in the carnival. I'm not in the dance house. I'm not in the whorehouse anywhere in Antigua. I am in the place where I come and say, God, I don't have this thing. I don't have this faith. I'm putting myself in the place where I want you to generate that. So I hear the word. I come under the word. And God in his sovereignty because of his promises. He takes the spirit of God. And he begins to work in my life. And then suddenly. One day. It dawns on me what this thing is all about. And now I understand what. By the way do you know that you can believe without even saying a word? Do you know that? Read the life of Luther. Or read the life of uh, Charles Wesley. Or read a lot of those, those people's lives. They didn't put down you know. We got a little. Little. Little prayer that we tell people to repeat after us. Okay? And we feel that if they don't say the right words, so what happened? A guy repeat the words, and then years later he always did I say the right words? That's our method of evangelism. What a great God and what a mysterious thing this is. But I, I, I like the idea that, you know, I, I, that God has means to accomplish his purpose. And God will use his word and use his spirit. Put yourself in the place under the word. Let the spirit of God work in your life. And sir, I can promise you this. If you really want to know God and you seek him, he will make God become so sharp in your life. And the spirit would make that so much alive. You'll be coming to the kingdom of God. Salvation is a work of God. Saving faith is not a natural man's faith. It is faith that is generated in you by the Spirit using the Word of God. You are not born with saving faith. That's what I want to say. Now let me show you the importance, and I come into a close now, this whole thing about Martin Luther and, and, and how he came to this whole matter. You remember when he, Habakkuk says, we say that Josh shall live by faith? That's not how it should be translated. It's the just by faith shall live. Because it's that that's helping the son of the man became just by faith. 
It's not that they just by Martin Luther's problem was how does a man become just? And Paul used her backup to answer that question. The just by faith shall live. And here is why that's the correct translation. When Habakkuk, you remember the circumstances of Habakkuk? You remember the Chaldeans are coming to destroy Israel? You remember there's going to be mayhem, there's going to be murder, there's going to be mutilation, there's going to be mass casualties. And, and he wants to know what happens in a case like this. Who will be saved? And it's then, in that moment, God reveals to him the just by faith shall live. You see, he was concerned about the masses of Jews that would be slaughtered. But what God is saying, I will protect those who have faith in me. The just in faith. And by the way, can I say this? It's only the just by faith that are going to live. And that's the point Paul is going to make in the next moment. So he begins, for the wrath of God is revealed. That's why you've got to interpret that verse correctly. Because the next verse follows from that. Because of what Paul said in verse 70, he now says in verse 18, for the wrath, he's explaining why the just by faith alone shall live. Why? Because God's wrath is against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. That's what he understood. So when he's in this dilemma, and he's thinking the child is going to destroy it. He wants, he, he comes to the point that God will protect those who belong to him. Those who are just by faith. God will ensure that they live. And I want to say to you, my dear friend, the only one that's going to live is the just by faith. There is something called eternal death. It will not touch the just by faith. They are the only ones that are going to live. And Paul's whole argument from verse number 18 right through to chapter 3. It's to trying to show people that the only one that will escape the wrath of God is the just by faith. Everyone else, he will show, will not live. He will show that the Jew is under condemnation, the Gentile is under condemnation. And then he says, in case you don't know, Jew or Gentile, the whole world. See? And the only one that will be saved and that will live is the just. That's how important that verse of scripture was. Now I'm going to stop there. Because we're going to pick up that next verse. But I thought it was important when we pick up verse 18. That you see the connection between verse 18 and verse number 17. Look at the word for. It's a continuation of what he has already said. And he's now about to explain why the just of my faith alone shall live. He says, for the wrath of God is against all ungodliness. Only the just by faith shall live. Brethren, this is a great book. It really is a great book. And we need to exercise our minds in trying to understand Paul's thinking, Paul's rationale. Because in our evangelism, it's not a book of psychology we turn to. We've got to turn to this manual to understand how we deal with people. Why we approach people this way. My point in all of this is that we've got to change our method of approaching people and dealing with people when it comes to evangelism. Honestly. And until we do that, you know, the Lord told the people of his day, that you make people twice the child of hell. See? And we've got to be very, very careful that we don't do that. See? Because let me ask you a question. 
When you haven't properly dealt with the person in the evangelism and you tell them they're saved and they come into the church and be a member of the church and sit in this church for 24 years, 30 years, and they're still not saved. Uh, listen to me. They're more fightful than that. And the reason why they continue is because you told them. I think it was, uh, I don't remember who was preaching recently, who said, don't tell your child they're saved. Don't tell them. Let the Lord give them that assurance. Well, she made a decision when she was four years old. So what? What if she now comes to an understanding that four years old, she never really got and understood the gospel? What are you going to do now? But you see, because you keep saying at four years old, are you damning your child and don't even know that? She stand up and say, But mommy, daddy, I, I, I wanted, but you told me I was saved. You told me. I knew I wasn't, but you told me. Listen, let God do his work in your child's life. You're not God. I'm not God either. Let God do your work. Look, if one of my sons came to me and said, Daddy, you know, I've been in your house for a long time. and You're the one that led me to the Lord. But you know what? I've come to the conclusion I'm not saved. What do you think I can tell him? You think I'm going to tell him, well, you remember five years back long when you got in the bedroom? I said, listen, is that what the Lord is dealing with you? Do you think you need to do something now? That's my approach. I ain't got no feathers in my cap for anybody. I just want to make sure they're in the kingdom, though. That's what I want to concern about. Let's stop here tonight. And I really hope you let this soak in. Some of the things might rub you a little bit away because the pastor never saw that angle before. That's okay. That's okay. But you go through and you think about what was said and you, you wait and you sift it. And I'm totally convinced you will see that this is the real teaching that Paul did. I will never teach you heresy. I'm not a Calvinist. will never be a Calvinist. Okay? Uh, so don't ever think that I'm a Calvinist. But I do know this. That men are not born with saving faith. And I do know this, that the only way you get saving faith is that the Holy Spirit uses the word of God to generate that faith in you. See, that's the only way you can get saving faith. And Paul is very careful to say that all men do not have faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the patience of your people who sat and listened and perhaps been disturbed mentally on these matters. Uh, perhaps even rattled tonight. That's a good sign. It says that the Lord is still dealing in their hearts and in our hearts and in my heart. Help us when we step into the pulpit to be concerned about one thing and one thing only. Truth. The preaching of truth. And even though it might be distasteful and somewhat offensive, we must preach truth. Guard us from error. And help us, Lord, to teach your word to your people from an honest heart and from the leading of your spirit and the guidance of the men of God who over the years have studied and been diligent and who also help us in the process to understand scripture. We thank you. I pray that as a church we will ask ourselves why we can't create another Luther. How come the Catholic Church could put so much in the minds of people the holiness of God and the depravity of man that a man of Luther's caliber and intelligence 
became so burdened. But yet, in the 21st century church, they laugh at the church. They have no sense of conviction, no sense of dread, no sense of fear. Help us to re-examine our approach to these matters. And help us to be wise and humble enough that should you speak to us and show us that we will change our ways and change our methodology and change our approach. Because our main concern must be the eternal salvation of that individual and not just numbers to fill a church. Guide us. We look to you. There's no one else to look to. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Be sure to join us again next time here on Sermons of Grace as Pastor Murphy moves on to verse 18 and begins to outline the next section of Romans. If you'd like to contact Pastor David Murphy or Grace Baptist Church, please call 268-462-4230 or visit during one of their service times. Sunday school is at 9 a.m., Sunday morning at 10 a.m., Sunday evening at 7 p.m., or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Grace Baptist Church is located on Rowan Henry Street in Gambles Terrace, Antigua.